0: Welcome to the Workplace Wellbeing Podcast. The podcast for well-being professionals that looks at best practices in organizations that care about their people and which keeps an eye on the growing number of suppliers in the well-being space. The Workplace Wellbeing Podcast is sponsored by FastPaye, a financial well-being solution that facilitates flexible salary advances. It also provides access to financial education, a benefits assessment calculator and a host of other financial well-being tools. FastPayE is part of the WorkTech group that includes ShopWorks Workforce Solutions and Solved by AI. ShopWorks offers scheduling and time and attendance tools that improve your workforce management processes, whilst Solved by AI provides unique artificial intelligence products that deliver optimum staffing levels and improve employee retention.
1: Hi and welcome to another edition of the Workplace Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Ian Hogg, Chairman of FastPay. Today I'm joined by Kelly Mackin, a co-founder of Motives Met. Motives Met are hoping to answer the burning question, what creates wellbeing at work? Or put another way, what makes a work life well lived? Motives Met are a team of researchers that have discovered that real happiness, mental health and wellness and wellness at work only occurs when motives are met. So, in this edition of the Workplace Wellbeing podcast, I want to discuss the research Kelly and her team have done into motives, what they found, and how, and how to use it to improve wellbeing at your organization. Hi, Kelly. Thanks for joining us.
2: Hi. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. No, listen, glad to have you on. Um, a good place to start, I think, as always, is why don't you give the listeners a bit about your background, um, how you ended up founding Motives Met, and also, I'd love to hear a bit more about the rest of your team.
2: Sure. Well, my mom and I, who's actually one of the other co founders of Motives Met, um, you know, we really talked about this work world that we dreamed of, you know, the one that we believed would be possible, where we had real mental health and well being, and the relationship between the company and individual was really a two way street. And this really stems from both of our backgrounds. My mom was senior vice president of research at one of the largest global advertising agencies. She was one of the first women SVPs. So she was a real trailblazer. And, you know, to me, she just was the epitome of success and I admired her so much. But what I saw growing up is while she was very fulfilled in her career for a long time, eventually over time, her career ended up being a great source of ill being in her life. She was pulling all-nighters for work. She was working every weekend. And that was just to kind of tread water and keep up. And even though I knew this isn't how the work world should work, I followed right in her footsteps, and I ended up in a very similar situation of really, um, you know, my mental health suffering, reaching complete burnout, and actually being physically ill from work. And so I really took a step back, you know, it took a few years, but I reached that point where I realized I really wanted to create holistic well-being in my overall life, And I thought, what does this really mean for my work life? And of course it means not being chronically stressed or burnt out. But beyond that, it means that the things that are important to me are healthy and in a good place. So that's things like, you know, having leaders that I trust and admire, doing work that felt really meaningful to me, or, you know, having a definition of success that really felt authentic and not like someone else's. So I changed my whole life. I moved from Chicago out to California and decided that I wanted to really pursue well-being and reaching my potential and helping other people do the same. So I dove into quantitative research on human behavior, you know, why we do what we do, how to be happier in our overall life. And that researcher curiosity led me to want to understand things deeper. So I went over to the psychological side of things and became a cognitive behavioral therapy practitioner, certified in cognitive coaching. And then I stumbled upon mindfulness and meditation. And that opened up a whole different area of kind of brain training and how to deal with stress and looking at how you know, our brain works. And so, I opened up a coaching business, and I started working with people really on their stress and anxiety and work and career ended up being something that people talk to me a lot about as their greatest source of stress or worry in their lives. So my mom and I were talking about how great it was that finally in our culture. We're talking about mental health at work in a significant way and that people deserve to be happy and healthy in their jobs. And currently, you know, with the Great Resignation, people are realizing they really deserve that well-being and they want to go pursue it in other areas of their career. But we wanted to actually take action and not just talk about this work world we dreamed of, but actually do something about it. So that's where we really started on our research path of going what creates true well being in our work lives and workplaces? And so we dove into the quantitative research to be able to answer those questions to help, you know, people, leaders, and organizations better do that.
1: Okay. And how did that lead up to, to founding Motives Met? And and is it just you and your mom was part of Motives Met or is there a wider team there?
2: We have a bigger team. Um, Josh McQueen is, you know, he's kind of our data guy and algorithm. He helped us develop a big part of the tool. We had some great content, um, content researchers and an amazing creative designer who helped us with branding. So we've had other people, you know, help us build this brand, but really my mom and I were, were the core of, you know, how this all started.
1: Okay. and, and, you give us a quick summary so what what's motives met so, you know sort of purpose and objective and and what, what do you do day to day
2: Well motives met. our mission really is to create a better work world and we you know seek out helping companies and individuals do just that so we're an entire work well being platform as well as a data driven assessment tool so, for people who've taken Strength Finders or Enneagram or Myers Briggs or DISC or any of those things, our assessment tool is somewhat similar to that, but for work well being and mental health at work.
1: Okay. And when, when we spoke earlier, you, you, you had some delightfully strong views about how well-being at work is sort of implemented or, or managed within the workplace. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear you, you know, take us through that again and expand on your, your, your sort of opinion of work, workplace well-being, you know, as, it, as it's certainly in America, but, you know, as it is in the Western economies, you know, as you see it now.
2: Well, there are three overarching issues that we found as we really started to get into the research. One is that work well-being in our culture can be a little bit fluffy or vague. You know, we can talk about it as work well-being helps you thrive in your job and be happy. And you're like, well, what does that really mean, right? How do we do that? Or organizations can kind of view it as on the back burner, not that important. Luckily, today that's starting to change, but there are still a lot of organizations and cultures that don't put it as a priority in their organization. The other side of the coin, we can be very specific in what we think work well-being is. So, you know, we've all come across those research articles or TED Talks that, you know, say, hey, these are the 10 things you need to create well-being on your team, or the five ways you, you can be happy at work, you know, that you must have purpose to have meaning and be happy in your job. Or if you don't create community on your team, you know, that's the biggest loss, But what we found is there is no magic formula, there is no right recipe, or, you know, these must-have ingredients. What we found is that well-being is very personal and individualistic and complex, which makes it tough. But that's why we created Motives Met to help make it easier. Because, you know, as you mentioned uh, in your intro, what we found is that well-being at work is when people's motives are met. And motives are your psychological and emotional and social needs at work. They're the things that are really, really important to you, and that is what is at the core of work well-being.
1: For for the listeners, could you give us an example of a couple of motives? You know, that, that are relevant to uh, you know to, to the discussion.
2: Sure, yeah. Through our research, we identified 28 primary work motives, and they fall into 10 bigger overarching domains. And we have this great framework called our motive circumplex that, if you look at our website, makes it really easy to grasp. And when you take the assessment, you get your own custom circumplex. But for example, there's the autonomy, flexibility, and free expression motive, and those are part of the freedom domain. There's the passion and purpose motive, which is part of the meaning domain. There's manager support, personal connection, fun, and community, Community, which are part of, you know, the peer connection domain. So there are 28 primary needs. And some of these motives can sometimes be put on a pedestal. Again, right, a TED Talk will say, this is what you have to have. And then some motives can be judged in the workplace or dismissed or sometimes just overlooked.
1: I mean, what's interesting about that you didn't mention money or having a job as one. So, if you go back to let's take the worst example of a of a badly managed organization, you know, you can imagine the boss saying, "They're lucky to have a job." You know, I pay them their salary. Um, you are right that, that I am sure um, financial, well, you know, well being is something where we believe in, but you know, so it's obviously some you know some element of the motive, but it's definitely not the number one, is it? And it's and you didn't even mention it.
2: Right. I mean, we looked really at these intrinsic motives just because there is a lot of research that shows that financial incentives aren't enough and that actually more people are saying, I would take a salary cut to have these important needs met, to have flexibility, to have work-life balance, to have a manager I like. So you know, that's why when it came to our research, we really focused on these deeper needs that are more intrinsic to the individual.
1: Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I think we see that one. I hear it a lot on the podcast. You know, for uh, you know, different different approaches to exactly that same problem. Uh, but two, yeah, I, I'm seeing it more and more with my own team, where they would rather have an extra day off and not a pay rise. Um, sure, you know, they, they would make that trade. We have people that that, um, that that say that. And just going back to the research, so the, you know, what what sort of research did you do into the into motives? Was it you know reading other papers did you actually go out and do primary research uh, is it done by interview you know just by speaking to your cu- your cl- clients and customers what what sort of work did you do to to get that data together
2: well we started with secondary research to really think about again all you know what are all of these needs what other research has been done so we used that as our jumping off point but then we went and did our own primary quantitative analysis over about a a two-and-a-half-year period, so thousands and thousands of interviews, and also some qualitative as well in the beginning just to really hear personal accounts of what people really found important at work. And what Uh, our research showed is that when people's top motives are met, when their most important needs are healthy, that that's when they're most healthy, and that's when they really thrive. Because while all of these 28 motives make up work well-being – You know, if you're a leader or a company, you need to care about all of them. We don't need them to the same degree in the same way at the same point in time. So again, that really adds to the ugly truth of how messy work well-being is. Every individual is going to have motives that rise to the top for them in this season. And that's really what our data showed is, you know, we only have so much time and attention. So let's discover what needs we really need met right now. And as a manager, how can I support people in that, right? And as a company, how can we improve these motives? And our research showed that if people's motives are met, they're much less likely to walk out the door and that they really care about the well-being of the company and that they have a much better relationship with their company and less stress and burnout at work. So, you know, our research really just showed time and time again how much these motives matter in the workplace.
1: Yeah, and I think we, you know, do you find that there's overlap between, you mentioned some of the other models like sort of Briggs-Myers. We In our in our team, we do a color assessments, you know, and um, yellows for the creatives, green are the carers, red are, you know, the sort of fairly dominant sort of, you know, the sales types, and blue are the detail guys. And, you know, each one of those colors has different motives. Uh, um, so the detail guys, you know, really want things nicely organized and, to work on problem solving normally and the creative guys, you know, are quite happy with a bit of chaos. Um, but, but want a bit of freedom and want the ability to, you know, create, 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 you know, creative ideas. Um, do you find there's overlap with those other models?
2: We haven't found specific overlap. Um, you know, motives can rise to the top for different reasons. So, you know, A reason a motive can be so important to someone is because it is tied to their values. So like you said, you know, if I'm an adventurous soul, maybe a creative person at heart, maybe I am more likely to have motives in the freedom domain and really want that autonomy and flexibility or the innovation motive, which is being able to kind of think outside the box and use my creative thinking. But motives can also rise to the top because they're suffering. They're met right now, or it's tied to a really specific goal I have, or it's just a deal breaker in my work life because of what I know from my past. So given they can be tied to values and there can be then overlap from a personality standpoint with some of these other assessments, there can also be all these other reasons that motives rise to the top for someone. And that's kind of a separate, different thing
1: okay and and just moving on to you know I, I, I get it I, li- I like the idea I like the model I you know, I can I can see how it, it makes a lot of sense even without having read the research um, what about the impact on on the workplace have you got you know have you worked with clients have you seen it in action have you seen where you know the change, you know, helping people find out what their motives are and then meeting those motives has improved workplace well-being. You know, have you got any um, case studies you can talk us through?
2: Yeah. Well, at a, you know, at a high level, what we say we do at Motives Met is that we help leaders and companies, you know, we empower them to better understand motives, be mindful of them, measure them, communicate them, and then ultimately meet them. So when we work with a company, we really walk them through all of those things. It's really important in organizations to get everybody on the same page of what well-being is and how you're going to think about it. So that's kind of the understanding piece is having everybody look at this framework and get that there's motive diversity and that you know, all motives are created equal and everybody's different. And then the be mindful of piece is using the assessment, right? And understanding what your greatest needs are and, hey, the people who work for me, you know, what are their greatest needs? And not just their top motives, but why, right? What's the story behind them? How do they feel about them? How can we better support them? And then what gets measured gets managed, right? So after the assessment, we send out a survey with the company that asks people how well met are these motives, You know, do you feel that your company has active ways that they're trying to meet these things? And so, you know, they get a lot of meaningful data around well-being at their company. And then Uh, communicate... Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: No. So just in terms of the mechanics of it then for, you know, for the listeners. So every individual in the organization would do a, um, you know, motives met survey to identify their personal motives. That's the sort of first step. And then the second step, you know, I'm I'm repeating what you've said, but just to, to clarify for the listeners, the second step is okay. Fine, uh, out of ten, how well are met are these motives? Is that is that the process?
2: Yes, yeah, and I mean, we customize the survey, right? Because well being is very personal, so you know, we have a base a base to work from, but then we can get into more specific questions and even have kind of open ends of, well, why do you think this isn't as well met? or what do you think you could personally do versus what your team could do. So yeah. we use the assessment but then we look at measurement and then look at how you can use that as a benchmark to track over time, right? Because this isn't a one and done program and that's you know, I didn't I didn't get to talk about the third issue with well-being in the workplace. But a big issue is that you know companies are starting to have the best of intentions of wanting to create well-being, but it's kind of a one-off program or a self-care day or a healthy lunch or a meditation app or wellness tech. And those things are all wonderful, but if people's deeper needs aren't met, they just don't matter, right? It needs to really be embedded in your culture and something you track over time. So there's the measurement piece. And then a big part is the communication piece, because one of the biggest barriers to getting motives met is that they're often not talked about, right? We don't really go up to one another and say, hey, what are your deeper needs and why? And as a coworker, do I help? And as a manager, do I help? These conversations just aren't happening, and they can be intimidating. So when you use the assessment and then use the measurement and have workshops to go, okay, what builds this motive? What blocks this motive? You're getting these things out in the open and you're, you're providing this shared language that makes it much easier for people to communicate about. And then coming from those workshops, it helps you put insights into action of, okay, what are we going to do now? Hey, this is a new initiative we're going to have. We're going to have a committee on this. This is a new value we're bringing into our culture. So there are all these action items coming out of using the research and the assessment and the measurement piece.
1: Yeah, no, I get it. What I I do like about the approach is, You know, a lot of surveys that, I mean, we do surveys at work and, you know, we do these sort of great place to work type surveys and, you know, and then individual ones, if you've got a problem, we want to try and understand, but they all sort of assume if you just do a survey um, that they all assume that we know what it is that that would make you happy or that was, you know, you know, do we communicate well as though communication is important? You know, they're the sort of questions get asked. What I like about your approach is you start by asking what's important to you? And then you say, do did, did, did we meet it? Rather than I make a load of assumptions about what's important to you, and then I just ask if we've met my assumptions about what's important to you. So, no, I think it's a, a, a good approach, and I can see how that quickly gets to it. What, it sorry, go on. I was going to move into a quick question. So how – once you've done this, you've got all this data, do you find that they group in, into – you know, if everybody's got their own personal motives to be met – Okay. And I've got 4,000 staff. Yeah. That sounds like 4,000, you know, individual profiles and I get it. Everybody's important and nobody's just a number, but how do you in practice make change when you've got 4,000 different sets of motives?
2: Well, a big part is starting with management and leadership of people working with their individual teams and coworkers who work together, understanding each other better. It makes our difficult work relationships that much easier. But then there also is change that often needs to happen again at that cultural level. What are the beliefs and behaviors in our organization that are problems? And what things are we also doing really well that we need to celebrate and that we need to share with people as we look to you know, attract great people to our company? So it is about the individual level, but it's also about that cultural level. And it can seem like a big undertaking, but you know, I love the story of the CEO of Chipotle who literally went and met with every single one of his employees to understand them better and what they need and what they care about. And so that is the reality that if you want real well being at work, meeting motives is personal. So, you are going to have to start caring about the individual and on a granular level, you know, on the team level, and also giving them the resources to better meet their motives. Because work well being is something that is co created. The degree of motive is going to be able to be met is going to be based on the individual, as well as the people they work with, as well as the culture, the leadership at their company. So, in the results with your assessment, We gave like 50 plus pages of insights and information to help people meet those motives and to help managers and coworkers better support those motives. So it's starting to truly take the time to reflect on these things and work on these things. One company we actually worked with started a protocol where each month they're focusing on a different domain of the circumplex. So one month they're focusing on the balance domain. One month, they're going to focus on the significance domain, which is all about appreciation and self-esteem. So, you know, you can customize the program based on you, but it is accepting the reality that it's about an individualized approach and not this big one-size-fits-all approach.
1: And of the different motives, you know, uh, you know, for the listeners again, because I've seen the Circumplex on your on your website. You know, the, instead of them being you know, financial, like it's not this. This stuff isn't going to cost me money as an employer, is it? it? It's if it's the way I work with my colleagues. It's the way I communicate with them. It's the way I set their tasks out or, or manage them. Really, it, it's a it's a tool to adjust your leadership and management uh, to to meet the meet the the motives. You know, is that a fair assessment?
2: I think partially. You know, meeting motives can be very cognitive and behavioral. So a big part can sometimes just be changing our mindset, be changing our communication, processes of how we work with one another, ways we evaluate um, performance at our company. So all of those things, like you're saying, they cost nothing. But sometimes, you know, when it comes to the action and the behavioral piece, you know, for example, in the advancement domain, there are three, do- uh, three motives. Three. The challenge motive, future success, and growth motive. So in one workshop with a company, there was a lot of interest on their team in the advancement domain. There was a great need for these motives to be met. So they talked about what are big conferences that their team wants to attend? What are different online courses they could do that would help them be better in their job that they were interested in? So things like that, there will be a dollar amount attached. Yeah. But you know, very worthwhile again to keep your best employees and to create that well-being. So it you know it can be both.
1: No fair, fair comment, and and you know the one sort of question on sort of implementation again. Then so if I was you know I've recognized you know I, I like what I'm hearing on the podcast, or I've recognized that maybe we've got a problem in my business. Well, you know how do, how would how would an um, engagement with you with Motives Met look? You know, where would you start? Is it just with the assessment online or um, is there a step before that?
2: Well, it would depend on what you're looking for. You know, we've made it really easy to go on and literally just purchase the assessment for your team. And we give you a customized dashboard. We give you a lot of free resources to run your own workshop. So we really tried to make this simple to use. You know, If I'm a manager with five people on my team and I just want to start the process, I can go do that. But if I want to reach out and have a consultation, you can work with us and we can customize a whole solution for you. We can come in and help you run a workshop and again, run a training or help your managers understand this so then they can go implement it with their teams. So we try to make it flexible based on what your specific needs for your business is.
1: Okay, now listen, that's excellent. I I, I think that's a... I think we've, we've we've covered it well. I think you know. I think it's a, it's a great concept. I love the approach to the sort of survey and the assessment. I think you know that that will, you know, I believe that will flush out quite a quite a lot of personal, you know, motives and, and, and ways to look, work better with someone. Um, but before we go, there's one question I ask everyone, um, and you know, I'm going to get you as well. What what book on media is, is giving you most inspiration at the moment, and why?
2: You know, I started reading this book called Dancing with Life with Philip Moffat. I'm not finished with it yet, but it is a very mindfulness-based book, and it's very inspiring because it's very modern, real-world approach to dealing with things like uncertainty and stress and just wanting to grow into better versions of ourselves. So even though that's not super work-related, that's kind of what's inspiring me at the moment.
1: Okay. Well, listen, I'll make sure as well as your contact details on your website I'll, in the program notes, I'll make sure that the, uh, the link to that book's in there as, as well, Kelly. Listen, it's been great having you on. Uh, you know, good luck with motives, Met and um, thank you very much for, you know, for your great insight.
2: Thank you for having me. This has been great.